thank you for coming. And however we can be of help, just uh, just let us know and let's just have a word of prayer as we begin. Lord, we thank you uh, that we can begin this worship service today. And uh, we just know it's all about you. And we thank you for the victory that we have all because of the resurrection. And we thank you that you gave your all for each one of us. And we just pray that we can celebrate together. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. just want to just take a moment to thank everybody this morning for joining us uh, this Easter morning here at Kersey Community Church. And it's kind of an interesting year for Easter services, but we're glad that you're online with us today. And uh, whether you've been coming to Kersey Community Church all your life, or maybe you're tuning in for the very first time, we're glad you're here because Easter is the time where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Heard about a little boy who was sitting next to his friend at church one Easter. And his friend asked, how did you get that bruise on your arm? And the little boy replied, I ate some Easter candy. And his friend says, well, you don't get a bruise on your arm by eating Easter candy. And the boy said, well, you do if it's your big brother's candy. Or I heard another one about two brothers who are getting ready to boil some eggs for dying Easter eggs. And the older brother looked at his younger brother and he said, you know what? I'll give you $10 if you will let me break three eggs on your head. Hmm. The little boy thought about it for a moment. And he said, you promise? You promise you'd give me $10 if I let you break three eggs on my head? And the older boy said, yeah, you let me break three eggs on your head? I'll give you $10. So the younger brother braced himself. And the older brother went over to him and smashed one egg on his head. Then he went over and smashed another egg on his head. And the younger brother was just waiting and waiting for that third egg. And finally he looked at his brother and said, aren't you going to break the third egg on my head? And his brother replied, no, because if I do that, I'll owe you $10. So life is full of empty promises like that. Often if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Marketing experts, they create commercials and advertisements that tell us that we can be happy or we can be sexy or we can be famous or we can be rich if we will just uh, purchase a certain product that they might have for us. The government prof promises that if we will vote a certain person in to be our representative or uh, we'll support this particular bill, then uh, we'll be all sorts of wealth and health and all sorts of good things will come our way. So it doesn't take long to know that uh, if we've been fooled enough, many times we realize the world's promises come short. And some people think that that maybe is true of God too. But our God is a God of promises. In fact, the Bible records over 7,000 promises from God to his people. And we live in a world of broken promises, of unfulfilled expectations. We make commitments and we don't follow through. We make plans and promises that we never even intended to keep. But God's different. So on the very first Easter Sunday, that Resurrection Sunday, instead of promises full of emptiness, God gave us emptiness that is full of promise. And so I would like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. 
And it's really just part of the Easter story, the resurrection. And I just want to read the first eight verses of John chapter 20 with you today. And it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and he believed. So this morning, with our scripture, I'd like us to think about the promises of Easter. There's at least three of them. Each promise that we'll talk about today is marked by something empty. I mean, we have an empty cross, we have empty clothes, and we have an empty tomb. And it's the very fact that each one of these is empty that assures us that God's promises are not. So let's look at, look at the empty cross first. So if you were to return to the scene of Christ's crucifixion, if you were to return to that on that Sunday morning, you'd find relics of his death. You would probably find a crown of thorns laying on the ground. You'd find some nails that were probably covered in dirt and blood. You'd see the cross there, stained with the blood. And that's kind of bizarre if you think about it. The thought that the blood on that cross was, was God's blood. To think that these nails held our sins to the cross. But that's what they did. Sin led Jesus to the cross. Whether it was lies or jealousy or anger or betrayal. And it wasn't necessarily the lies of his accusers or the jealousy of the chief priests. I don't think it was all because of the anger of the crowd. It wasn't even the betrayal of Judas. But if you think about it, it was all of our sins, all of our anger and betrayal. Because if you think about it, we all have a list of sins. What sins make your list? Is it anger? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's prejudice. Maybe it's uh, lustful eyes or a lying tongue. Maybe it's just selfishness. Or maybe you're just jealous over a lot of things. In a sense, all our sins are different, somewhat the same. My list of sins is probably different from your list of sins. But every sin on our list comes with a price tag. In a lifetime of sin, I mean, we can rack up some major debt in heaven. 
I mean, think about the sins that we rack up on a daily basis. We yell at our kids. Cha-ching. Oh, there's one. We covet our friend's car. Cha-ching. Oh, there's another. You envy your your neighbor's house. Cha-ching. You lie. Cha-ching. You lose control. Cha-ching. You give in to temptation. Cha-ching. You fall asleep during one of my sermons. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. But further in debt, we go. And initially, we might try to repay what we owe. So we have this thinking. We figure that our account balances out as long as I, I do more good things than I do bad things. The problem is that's not how things work out. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, the payment for sin is death. So simply put, the cost of your sins is more than you can pay. But, by, but the grace of God is more than you can even imagine. So do you know what God does with our list of sins? I mean, listen to what Paul talks about in Colossians. He says, you were dead in sins and your sinful desires were not yet cut away. Then he gave you a share in the very life of Christ, for he forgave all your sins and blotted out the charges proved against you, the list of his commandments which you had not obeyed. He took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. The empty cross. The second thing I want to talk about is the, the empty clothes. We have Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who were both Pharisees, who secretly believed in Jesus. They were somewhat reluctant during Christ's life, but they became courageous at his death. They requested from Pilate permission to bury the body of Jesus. And so as they ascended up to Golgotha, bearing burial clothes, which were long strips of cloth, linen cloth. We see that Pilate gave them permission, supplied the permission, so to speak. Joseph supplied the tomb. And Nicodemus supplied the spices. And the Bible says in, in John 19.40, following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. Now, for John, who witnessed all of this firsthand, the arrival of the burial clothes represented to him the departure of hope. The linen were a tangible reminder that his faith and future were wrapped in cloth, was sealed behind this rock that was in this tomb. You see, John didn't know on Friday what we know today. John and the others believed in Jesus. They had put their faith in Jesus. All their hopes and dreams rested in a man they believed was God in human flesh. But then they saw him die. All of Jesus' followers were discouraged. They were disillusioned. Doubts were swirling all about. Jesus' death dealt a crushing blow to John's faith. And maybe you can relate to that. 
tragedies and death sometimes destroy our faith. Or maybe it's a loss of a job, or we've lost a good friend. Or maybe we look at it and say, God just didn't show up when I thought he should have. But when life gets hard and our hopes get shattered, our faith sometimes suffers a devastating blow. Sometimes we begin to wonder, why does God let bad things happen? Does God even care? Is God even really there? Now what we learned from John this morning in this passage of Scripture is we need to just hang in there a little longer. Because if you think about it, we don't know what John did on Saturday. We don't have a passage to say this is what happened on Saturday. We don't have any insights to share. All we know is that John saw Jesus die on Friday, saw him get buried, and was still there on Sunday. He was still present. So what about you? When you're in John's position, what do you do? When you are somewhere between yesterday's tragedy and tomorrow's triumph, what do you do? Do you leave God or do you linger near him? John chose to linger near. And because he lingered on Saturday, he was around to see the miracle on Sunday. Very early on a Sunday morning, we see Mary bursting through the doors, delivering the news. Jesus' body is missing. Mary's urgent about her talk. She's surprised in the, in the announcement that she's making in her opinion. She's thinking that Jesus' enemies have taken Jesus' body. Well, it says instantly Peter and John hurry to the tomb. And you got to love some of the writing of it where it talks about how John was faster than Peter. He outruns Peter, arrives first at the tomb. But what's, what he saw so stunned him, he just kind of froze at the entrance. What did he see? In verses 5 through 7 of John chapter 20, it says, He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. John's mind begins to race. If someone has stolen the body... John must have thought, hmm, wouldn't they have taken the grave clothes too? Why would you waste time unwrapping a body only to steal it? Well, John knew that there's only one answer for this. Because the Bible says in verse 8, he saw and believed. The empty clothes promise faith. So on that resurrection, that first Easter Sunday, God took burial clothing, a tangible reminder of Jesus' death, a symbol of tragedy, and he made it into a symbol of hope and faith. A pile of empty clothes restored John's faith. And God wants the same for us. The next time that your faith is shaken, when doubts or fears well up inside, remember the empty clothes. Don't leave God. And finally, we come to the empty tomb itself. 
You see, the tomb which Jesus was laid in was a borrowed tomb. It was Joseph of Arimathea. It was a newly carved one. It had never been used before. It was essentially a man-made cave that was cut off into this stone. Had probably a bench in there to lay the body. But after Peter and John discover the empty clothes, they return to town. But Mary and some of the female followers of Jesus, they stay and linger there at the tomb. And while they're lingering there at the tomb, these angels appear to them and they announce to him, don't be afraid. It says in verses 5 and 6 of Matthew 28, don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. He has risen from the dead as he said he would. Come and see the place where his body was. The tomb of Jesus remained empty as a symbol of life that outlasts the grave. It's life everlasting. In other words, the empty tomb promises forever. Now think about that. The word forever. Our minds have a really hard time grasping the concept of forever. Yet Jesus promised it over and over. He told Nicodemus in one of the most familiar passages of Scripture of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life, have forever life. He assured the woman at the well. He said, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life forever. Now, most people, they long for a long and happy life. But Jesus offers much more. He offers forever. He offers eternity. And the promise of eternal life is really the heartbeat of hope. It's what we as Christians long for and we look forward to. I mean, if you think about it, as we grow to feel more and more in life, the limitations of a 24-hour day, or we see the limitations of a seven-day week, or maybe we see the limitations of a month, or, or the fact that there's only 12 months in a year, to distribute all the demands upon our time, we should marvel at the gift God has promised us. Because of His promise of eternal life, we have an unshakable hope, and we should bubble with delight within us. We are heading for forever. Now, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. He says, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. The empty tomb serves as a powerful reminder that Christ rose from the grave never to die again. And he promises that if we believe in him, then we will live with him forever. Think about the familiar song, Amazing Grace. And think about the final verse. It says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days 
to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. The empty cross promises forgiveness of our sins. The empty clothes promise faith for those who stay close to God during those dark days. And the empty tomb promises forever to those who put their faith in the one who conquered death. So like I said at the very beginning of this message, God is a God of promises. He always keeps them. And the very fact that the cross and the clothes and the tomb were found empty assures us that God's promises are not empty, but they are true. So this Easter, I trust that if you have never received God's promises, if you've never embraced God's salvation, I trust that you will be able to do so too. And I encourage you to accept Jesus today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today, but we thank you for this incredible day, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, that we just celebrate the victory that you gave us over sin. And Lord, we thank you for the salvation that you offer us and the eternal life that is ours for the taking if we'll just accept you into our heart and life. And again, I thank you that we can be together today on this day and we give you all the praise and glory. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.